Recently, it's felt like every couple of months, there's another story, another story of a well-known Christian leader and or preacher being accused, uh, called out, found out for their abuse of leadership. Uh, Men who are well-respected leaders of churches and parachurch organisations. And I'm thinking actually within our kind of camp of Christianity, uh, these leaders have used their power, uh, the power that comes with their role and their status, and they've used it for their own gain at the expense of others. Uh, For some, there's been a sexual abuse component, and that's horrific to hear. Uh, Though even more, it's been revelations of bullying Leaders who've used their position uh, not for financial gain, uh, not for sexual gratification, but it's been about power for power's sake. Bullying staff and members, domineering and controlling people. One of the terms I've heard used for it has been heavy shepherding. Uh, Most of the big name stories have come from England and America. They're the ones that make the headlines, at least in the Christian media. But I know a number of sad stories from Australian churches too, from gospel-believing, Bible-teaching, reformed churches where the leadership has become oppressive. In Micah's day, there was corrupt, oppressive leadership at all levels. The rulers were oppressive. The courts were corrupt. Those who set themselves as spiritual authorities were corrupt too. Micah 3 is a warning, a wake-up call to those who are leaders in whatever part of life. A coach of a soccer team, boss of a workplace, teacher of a classroom, elder of a church. We're going to hear a warning from God today. And for those who are survivors of oppressive leadership... Micah 3 gives comfort that God sees you and he will do what is right. Now, last week at the end of chapter 2, we had some good news. Uh, Micah 3, we're back to just the bad news, but the good news we heard last week was that after punishment, God would gather together a faithful remnant and verse 13 said, the Lord will pass through before them, sorry, their king will pass through before them, the Lord at their head. It's a promise that God would personally lead his people to freedom. But we turn to chapter 3 and we hear that the leaders, literally the heads of God's people, they're not leading people, God's people to freedom. They are destroying and devouring them. So please read along from verse 1. So this is Micah chapter 3 starting at verse 1. Then I said, listen you leaders or heads of Jacob, you rulers of Israel, Should you not embrace justice, you who hate good and love evil, who tear the skin from my people and the flesh from their bones, who eat my people's flesh, strip off their skin and break their bones in pieces, who chop them up like meat for the pan, like flesh for the pot? Makes you feel sick. He's saying these leaders are basically cannibals. Instead of leading, they're devouring. Instead of loving good and hating evil, they do the opposite. What kind of leaders are these? They're meant to be doing justice, like judges in our courts, defending the innocent, punishing the guilty, but they're doing the opposite. 
These leaders are also political leaders, kings, governors, tribal leaders. But they're living like gangsters. They live like they're above God's law, sending thugs out to sort out their enemies. What does God say he's going to do? Well, the picture builds through the whole chapter of how God's going to respond, but the first part of his judgment is they're going to turn to God, but they'll find him silent. Verse 4, Then they will cry out to the Lord, but he will not answer them. At that time he will hide his face from them because of the evil they have done. And what does it mean? God won't answer and he'll, he'll hide his face. It does mean that God won't answer their prayers. But I wonder if in the context of what's to follow, whether the more specific threat is God will stop sending prophets. God's punishment is he's going to stop warning them. There'll be no more prophets sent to call them back to God. Instead, judgment will come. It's God's kindness that we can hear his voice through the scriptures. Now, do you value the Bible enough that not hearing God's voice would be punishment? Now, as we hear about Israel, Israel's leaders, we need to realise, uh, under the law of Moses, the nation of Israel, the political nation, was, was the people of God. But that's not the case now. Australia is not Israel. There is no political earthly nation. That's the people of God. All believers in Jesus throughout the world are God's people. So as we read Micah 3, we can't uh, take it and apply it to our politicians and judges because it's not quite the same thing. Uh, the first place to apply chapter th- uh, Micah 3 is to our churches. Though, if you're a Christian and you devour the people you lead, no matter whether you're a leader in a church or business, uh, in your family or a community group, if you use your power to dominate and control people, this is a warning for you. A warning you need to, to hear before it's too late. And if you've been oppressed by a leader, especially a Christian leader, God sees and he will act. Verse 4, they may cry out to God, but God will not answer. But even though God is silent in his judgment, that doesn't stop others from speaking. There's plenty of people who pretend to be a prophet for a price. Verse 5, This is what the Lord says. As for the prophets who lead my people astray, they proclaim peace if they have something to eat, but prepare to wage war against anyone who refuses to feed them. Therefore night will come over you without visions and darkness without divination. The sun will set for the prophets and the day will go dark for them. The seers will be ashamed and the diviners disgraced. They will all cover their faces because there is no answer from God. Uh, this is like a BC version of a prosperity preacher. If you give them money, they'll say, oh, God's going to bless you. God's going to give you a, a nice car and a nice house, just like he's given me from all the money I've taken from you. But if I don't, if you don't pay up, the prophet will tell you you're under God's curse. 
And sadly, there are preachers who do the same kind of thing today. You know, give to my ministry and God will bless you. Give me money, you won't get sick. Give me money, you won't get poor. I don't know how that one works. It's blasphemous. It's wicked. Because it lies about God and it destroys people. Uh, Verse 5, I like the way the, the, the Christian Standard Bible, the CSB, translates it. It just helps get the picture a bit clearer. Have a listen. Uh, this is what the Lord says concerning the prophets who lead my people astray, who proclaim peace when they have food to sink their teeth into, but declare wars against the one who puts nothing in their mouths. These profiteering prophets are just as evil as the corrupt rulers. They're cannibals, devouring people who they then lead astray. They destroy people now, but also destroy people for eternity because they don't tell people about sin. And so if they don't hear about sin, they've got no chance to repent. But true prophets are different. They rely on God's spirit. They don't speak for profit. They speak God's truth. Verse 8, but as for me, this is Micah speaking, I am filled with power, with the spirit of the Lord, and with justice and might to declare to Jacob his transgression, to Israel his sin. False prophets have no power, only shame. But Micah has no shame because he knows he says God's truth. Now you might be wondering, well, how are people in Micah's day meant to know? How would they have known if Micah was a true or a false prophet? Or whether it was the seers and diviners who were actually speaking for God? They both would have claimed power from the spirit of God. How would you know? And this isn't just a historical question. It's a question we need to answer to. How can you discern false teachers? Well, first of all, it's character. Micah wasn't in it for the money. He didn't change his tune depending on how full his belly was. So first of all, it's character. Second, it's by comparing the prophet to what God had said. Imagine you live in ancient Israel, you've got eyes to see, you'll see the idol worship and you'll see people coveting and stealing from each other as we heard last week, you'll know this is against God's law. God's law went right back to Moses and it said things like, cursed is anyone who makes an idol, a thing detestable to the Lord, the work of skilled hands and sets it up in secret, then all the people shall say, Amen. And cursed is anyone who moves their neighbor's boundary stone then all the people shall say, Amen. And so if someone claims to speak for God, but says, oh, look, your idol worship doesn't matter, and stealing your neighbor's property doesn't matter, well, it's obvious that they're not speaking for God. And those two rules of thumb, they're pretty good for us too. There are all sorts of people who claim to speak God's truth. Anyone with an internet connection can set up a website or a YouTube channel and sprout off whatever idea pops into their head. And there's also the stuff in Christian bookstores and on TV. And it's not just stuff out there. How can you work out if someone speaking in front of you is leading you in God's truth or into lies? Well, one, character matters. Are they living a godly life? Paul tells Timothy to watch his life and doctrine. Though that's pretty tricky if the person you follow is online. 
but their character matters, which is when the revelations come out about what they're like behind closed doors, it matters. And second, check everything against the scriptures. That's why my habit, my practice, is I don't just talk about the Bible, but I, I'm going to read out the whole of Micah 3, the whole passage I'm preaching on, and I want to see eyes down checking what I say. If you hear a preacher and there's no reason to open your Bible, alarm bells should sound. And I reckon a great safety harness is being part of a church. And I know this is preaching to the choir, but it's important, especially after all the disruption last year. Being part of a healthy church, a church where the Bible is taught, where the preaching isn't just some nice idea, but it's explaining and applying God's word, that keeps us hearing the truth. But it's not just the preaching that's a safety harness, it's one another. The problem with most of the false teaching you see online is that you're reading it by yourself. You don't have your brothers and sisters in Christ reminding you about what's true and important. You can get true Bible teaching on the internet. There's loads of it. There's some fantastic stuff. But you can't get online brothers and sisters who speak the gospel to each other and encourage each other to keep our eyes on Jesus and spur each other on to love and good deeds. But we need each other to keep Jesus at the centre rather than getting caught up in some of the wacky stuff you see online. Now, of course, flocks can go off the rails, but I keep having conversations with someone trying to be a solo Christian who aren't members of a body of Christ, and they often are so obsessed by things that are not Christ and him crucified. So often they've wandered into sin because they don't have brothers and sisters to declare their transgression and sin to them as Micah says that he does. But back to Micah's day. What's God going to do about oppressive leaders, oppressive secular and spiritual leaders? Well, in verse 9, we're reminded again of what these leaders are like. Verse 9, hear this, you leaders of Jacob, you rulers of Israel, who despise justice and distort all that is right, who build Zion with bloodshed and Jerusalem with wickedness. Her leaders judge for a bribe. Her priests teach for a price. And her prophets tell fortunes for money. Yet they look for the Lord's support and say, Is not the Lord among us? No disaster will come upon us. But they were wrong. It's because the Lord is with them. It's because the Holy One of Israel is their God that disaster was coming. God saw their corruption and violence. And even though they despise justice, God doesn't. So he will bring punishment. Verse 12, therefore, because of you, Zion will be plowed like a field. Jerusalem will become a heap of rubble. The temple hill, a mound overgrown with thickets. Uh, Jerusalem was the capital of the southern kingdom, the capital of Judah. Two weeks ago, we heard a very similar warning about Samaria, the capital of the northern kingdom, Israel. Uh, Micah 1.6, therefore I will make Samaria a heap of rubble, a place for planting vineyards. I will pour her stones into the valley and lay bare her foundations. 
because of the corruption and evil of their leaders, neither kingdom would be spared. The capital cities, the home of the elite ruling class, the capital cities would become overgrown heaps of rubble. That was God's warning. And it happened. God did what he said. During Micah's lifetime, Samaria was destroyed and Jerusalem followed about a 100 years later. Which is tragic. But for those who've suffered under oppressive leadership, who've survived bullying and abuse, it is good news because it says God sees and God will bring justice. In a moment, we're going to turn to the other part of the good news, which is that there's actually a new way of leadership that Jesus brings. But before we get there, how can we respond to corrupt and evil leaders in our church? What can you do if a minister or an elder is abusive or a bully? Well, our denomination has a process of discipline. If I or any minister of a Presbyterian church is behaving like that, we're accountable to what's called our presbytery, the ministers and elders of the churches in a region. And so if you've got a complaint, make sure it gets heard. Uh, The process is you report the complaint to the elders of your church and they must pass it to the presbytery without comment. They can't say, oh, we think he's a good bloke, without comment. And then the presbytery will look into it and enact discipline where needed. And sadly, at times, it's needed. Today, we've seen this horrific picture of leaders in Micah's time. And sadly, some church leaders, some Christian leaders, don't look all that different. Which is a disgrace because what Jesus taught and lived is so different from the the leaders of Micah's time. For Jesus, leading or ruling isn't about power or control, but it's about serving and suffering for the sake of others. In 1 Peter 5, there's a, a great reflection by a bloke who spent three years with Jesus, saw him in action, and now is a leader of God's people. Uh, This is what it says in 1 Peter 5. Uh, To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings, who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be. Not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. So what's the job of elders in God's church? Their job is to watch over the flock, to make sure they're fed and watered, to make sure they're safe. That's the job of church leaders. Keep watch. Care. And then what kind of person are they to be? Well, they're to serve willingly. Not being motivated by money or greed, but serving. Not being motivated by power and control, but being an example of godliness. And finally, they're to keep looking to Jesus. Uh, This is the kind of under-shepherds churches need. So please be praying for Tom and me.
pray for leaders of other churches around Gympie and in our presbytery that will follow Jesus. Uh, this is also important to remember when we elect new elders, character matters most of all. And although Peter is thinking about elders, shepherds, church leaders, much of what he says is true of all Christians in leadership positions. You can't be a wolf in the workplace and then a sheep on Sunday. Willing, servant, example-setting leaders is for Christians wherever they lead, whether it's at the workplace or the pony club, because that's what Jesus has done. He came not to be served, but to serve. He laid his life down. He suffered that he would be our shepherd and our king, leading his people to forgiveness and freedom. This is good news. Even for oppressive leaders, Jesus died to show a new way to lead, but even more to bring forgiveness. That's good news, isn't it? Even those who've done the wrong thing can be forgiven. And it's good news for those who've been oppressed. Because in Christ, God knows what it's like to be abused by corrupt leaders. Yet in his dying and rising again, he shows his authority over the powers and the hope of eternity for those who trust in him. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you will judge oppressive and corrupt leaders. We praise you because you see those who have harmed your little ones and you will bring justice. Please comfort those who've been harmed by leaders, especially Christian leaders. Please bring healing and restoration. We pray for those who lead in churches in Gympie and in our presbytery. Please may they be led by men who watch their life and doctrine closely, who lead like Jesus, humbly, willingly and consistently, that your sheep would be well cared for by them. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.